back to another episode of Generally Assembled, your favorite House Republic podcast. Uh, Jason Gottesman, joined by Mike Straub, and guess who's back? Guess who's back? Yeah, well, back again. And interestingly, Jesse's back. You know, you know who who made sure I was back. You guys gave the little shout out at the end. Mm. So my mom, I, I go over for uh, with the boys for a, a Sunday dinner, and she pulls up her laptop, and she actually plays the end of the <laughs> podcast, and she goes. You need to be back on. So it worked. Like you're, you're playing, like she, it was mom. My mom said you got to get back on. She and she also said she likes the new guy. Nice, but, but you need to be there. Yeah. And yeah. so here I am, and um, I, I plan to be back for a while. Well, uh, that's good. We we have just been uh, keeping the seat warm for you, um, and uh, we're we're glad to have you back. It's always always better with three uh, on the podcast. That's what I'm told. All right. It's worth mentioning that the Capitol is like 80 degrees in every room uh, right now. They have the air turned off for some giant kind of repair. So the Capitol is just burning up. And I think that's leading to people just maybe losing their minds a little bit. No, uh, I think that's what it is. I think, <laughs> listen, I think the people of Pennsylvania would argue that most of us lost our minds well, <laughs> a long time before the heat was uh, in overdrive. Mike, you and I were talking, this building was built before there was air conditioning, so right. I can imagine, like, the halls of the Capitol, if they could talk, being like, look look at these people complaining about <laughs> oh, yeah. air conditioning. Right. Oh, you no listen, you should have seen the first time my dad was in a car, and he realized that you know, he was talking about all the little functions on the vehicle, and I said that, that I had a steering wheel warmer. <laughs> I won't say what he said, but it was it was implying that I was not as tough as he was yeah. back in the day. And once you have a steering wheel warmer, you can never live. Can never go it. back. Never go back. Well, see, I, so I'm that way with the heat. The, oh the yeah, heated, for sure. The heated seats. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a it is a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd rather spend my money elsewhere than on my vehicle. What a time but, to be alive. Well, but I, it's not even like <laughs> you don't even need a, a high end vehicle to have those things no. now. I'm oh, still standard. shocked and happy that air conditioning comes standard in cars now. Yeah. Uh, that's that's still like I remember the, I bought my my current car. I bought it in 2019, and I asked like. Well, do I have to pay more for the air conditioning? Because that's what I was used to like. What? That was when in I 2019? first. 2019? No, you asked I, but, that but was the last time face? I bought a car was back in the early 2000s. 72? When they still, when they, when it didn't come, when it still didn't come standard. It came standard didn't in the early standard. 2000s. didn't come standard. Why were you buying it in the early 2000s and didn't have air conditioning? Yeah, you, it was a you, base you, model Honda. It had air conditioning, but it, it was a base model Honda Civic. Well, so the answer was yes, it has air conditioning. Yeah. Right, but it came standard. It was, you, there was not even an option in, in the in the Super. There was nothing, there was no option you could have that didn't have air conditioning. Well, welcome welcome to this century. Yeah, it felt good. Um, <laughs> Glad uh, you're here. Have you heard about cell phones? They've come a long way. <laughs> you still have, you still have one of the, um, the rotary phones in your office? You know, I don't, but I, I do feel privileged uh, to have used a rotary phone in my lifetime. Here's the other thing that surprised me about that, because usually sci-fi guys are also geeks when yeah, it comes guys. to tech guys, yeah. to tech. So it would shock me that you're, because you're a big sci-fi, uh, yeah, like but battle, I, Battlestar Galactica I'm type not, guy. because uh, while I, I do love television, uh, I don't have time for like significant investment. Like I don't know. I feel like you know. I feel like I'm the Danny DeVito kind of Renaissance man. If you know that movie, you ever see that movie? Uh, no. You're Danny DeVito. Well, you know, I'm like I'm balding. I'm short. I'm right. overweight. Uh, but I feel like I like to have like a, a knowledge base that's a mile wide and an inch deep. It's, yeah. All the kids in the neighborhood knew I got sent upstate. So they started calling me Frankie Donkey Brains. And it was very traumatic. Oh. So I got my mommy to drive me back up to the loony bin where they signed this official certificate exonerating me of all Donkey Brains. Um, well, that's politics, right? Right. 
like all of us have that to yeah. a certain degree. Mm-hmm. We have to deal with all kinds of issues. You're not going to be experts in all of them. But as you know, we talk like while I do love sci-fi, you know, and and what you know, really entertainment because I was raised on television. Um, you know, my parents did an okay job, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're working out. Yeah. We're working out a lot of stuff uh, here at the table. Yeah. Yep, we're working out a lot of Jason's past here. Right, welcome back to uh, generally therapy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, but you ma- it's listening. funny you mentioned about the the TV thing. Like I, so this is how I am as a TV watcher. You know, I I love. I love certain genres of movies, and, and TV, but not a lot of new TV shows that really interest me. Every once in a while, they'll be. I'm into this new show, Will Trent, on uh, on ABC. It's kind of cool. But but for the most part, you know what I find myself. I'm I'm one of those guys that at the end of the day, if I'm if I'm done, like if my brain's done, I will just flip on the TV, and yeah. it'll either be oh, sports, right. Food Network, or my go-to, which I can watch an episode that I've seen 18 times. Doesn't matter. Is is the office? Mm. Yeah, always. It really is that show that you can always go back to and watch. And I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know if it reminds me of Harrisburg in any way, <laughs> <laughs> or the characters, or what it is. But I that that show is eminently rewatchable. Well, it, I, I find the office is is incredibly relatable. Um, especially, I think the government working government is a little bit different um, in so much as you're kind of drawn in for. Um, you know your sort of expertise in an area in in government work, um, or you know, yeah, your your, expert, your passion your about certain right. issues, right? Exactly. Exactly. But uh, in in the private sector, uh, I've always felt like it, it's very relatable because you have people who kind of like are just like, I need a job. This is kind of a thing that I'm interested in, uh, and you're just sort of like thrown together. Nobody really having a passion for being there, but. It's kind of what you do to pay the bills. It's, look, it's very relatable. You're an office guy, I would assume. Yeah, of course. Right. Well, yeah. it relates to basically anybody who's ever gone to a job in any way, shape, or form. But for me, the office carries on that style of comedy that Seinfeld got so right, where it's awkward and you can't stop watching because it just hits you in that way that you're like, I got to see what happens. And so the office hits on all those same sort of um, you know, wave wavelengths in your head. And so like the way the jokes hit, like you said, even though you know the joke that's coming, you're like, I, I, I can't wait to see this again. The facial expressions. Exactly. They and, 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 and yeah, and, and there's every, there, everybody has a Dwight, mm-hmm. right? The one mm-hmm. who's just a little overly enthusiastic about why they're there and yeah. then overly controlling. Like the, you're right, it's relatable, but it, it's it's just one of those shows that I get drawn back. And, and of course, the the best days were the were the Michael Scott days, right, mm-hmm. Steve Carell. Yeah. But it was one of those shows that even when they when they lost uh, Carell when he left, it was still it was still great. Like yeah. they it, they were able to capture that, and I just that's my that's kind of my go to to uh, to relax after the. You know, at the end of a hard day of legislating. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a. Uh, <laughs> well, um, well, it hasn't been a, a lot of those. <laughs> well, I, was, I was wondering if that would segue into anything. Oh, I guess we, we got to talk about, about actual, <laughs> actual stuff. We've been going for a few minutes. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's. We talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. But we have the man himself here, uh, Representative Topper. You are the uh, Republican pick so far for the House Education Committee chairmanship. Yeah. Uh, there has been a sea change in sort of how we need to view education. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited. I mean, I I understand that from a from a purely legal perspective, uh, people look at the school funding decision and basically saying how we're funding schools now is unconstitutional. They're looking at that and saying, oh man, that's that's a that's the court being you know activist again. And and look, that very well may be. But here's what I know. Here's one thing I know for sure is that both sides and and if you talk to families throughout the Commonwealth, and it doesn't matter what school district they're from. Um, 
for what, what zip code they're in. They understand that the system is fundamentally broken. Our answer to that has been we need to give more choice, and that needs to continue to be an answer. But we also have to realize that for most of our constituents, the only choice they really have is is that local traditional K through 12. So we have to get this right. And and look, in this building and, and probably in government altogether, you don't get transformational change unless there's some kind of a crisis or a force to do so. And, and that's so I look at this as a great opportunity um, meeting people both sides of the album come up to me and, and that's the fortunate when you're named in one of these positions people are coming up to you with their thoughts ideas they want to know yours and i've heard some great ones and we just need to now get get to the business of of doing it but i think we have a great opportunity and and when we talk about rebuilding a system or transformational change my only my only comment to each stakeholder group and each member staffer whoever's come up to me is like i'm willing to think outside the box and everything's on the table as long as one thing is is at the center of our attention, that's the kids. That's it. As long as the kids are the center, I'm I'm willing to to talk about any possibility. As long as the kids are the center of our focus, and everybody so far responded well. Which I don't know how you can't, because that is truly what it's about. Before we move on, there's, there's a question that I just want to explore in this area. Um, which is, you know, the Supreme Court in the past has said, General Assembly, you need to do this. Or General Assembly, General Assembly, you need to figure out how to fund this. Um, <clears throat> and then we're like, okay, that's nice. What are the consequences here of this building sort of whiffing on this? So I think I, when the court that ruled on this right now has has basically given us carte blanche like you they didn't the court did not say this is the time frame you have to fix it and this is what you have to do to fix it so i i think of like when the pa supreme court said you know the maps were unconstitutional back at the previous you know iteration and then they say oh and by the way we just so happen to have the yeah. maps you're going to use the fix that was not the case yeah. here it was this is unconstitutional this isn't working but we're going to leave it to the the legislature and the executive branch to fix. So I think I think the consequences of us doing nothing would be the courts coming back and saying, "Okay, we gave you an opportunity, an adequate opportunity to fix this. You haven't. So now here's the remedy." Yeah. And we do not want that. You don't want whether it's one person in a lower court or whether it's you know seven people at a at a higher court or or nine people at a you know at a U.S. Supreme Court. You don't want to be handed the remedy. We need to take this opportunity to fix it. The consequence will be it will be forced on us, and then the people's voice will not really be heard. One of the things that's that's jumping out is you're so accurately describing the scenario that we're facing is you're not just making this about dollar signs and not just making this about cents that add up and what money goes where. I saw a an advocate from one of the outside groups on one of the Sunday shows this week explaining finally the poorer school districts will get more money, more money, more money. They're going to level the playing field for poorer districts, more money, more money, more money. And I was just pulling my hair out. This can never just be about dollars. If you look at the test scores across the state, if you look at all the measurables for all students in Pennsylvania, regardless of money, this is not a system that's been driving Pennsylvania's education system in the right direction. And that's not political. That doesn't go one, one way or the other. And that's where I, I think it's so important, as you keep hitting on, a chance to really re-examine the entire system of how we move forward in Pennsylvania. And we have to get that right, not just continue to throw money one way or another. Because right now we're looking at school districts individually. Like, well, this one's succeeding and this one isn't. But if you look at the court ruling, what's it say? The Constitution is 
for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So when I look at how our education system's doing, I'm looking at the fact that nobody can find employees. Mm -hmm. I, I look at the fact that nobody can find skilled labor. Mm. That tells, I don't need to look at Lower Marion's test score versus you know Allentown's test scores. I can tell it's not working because we're not producing what we need in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So the idea that we're just going to throw more money into school districts that aren't, well, what about this, the schools that are still you know, getting decent test scores but still aren't producing what we need? The system is broken. And $4 billion is not going to fix it. Sure, is there going to be a cost component? Of course there is. But there also has to be a significant change in public policy if we want to make sure the system is delivering what the Commonwealth needs and requires, which is part of the constitutional requirement. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's where I always point to. It's, it's, it's not just about money. And we've seen that time and time again. Some of the districts that are actually receiving the majority of state funding mm -hmm. are some of the ones that are lower performing. Mm -hmm. But the system as a whole is underperforming. We see that by the demographics, we see that by the people leaving this, the state of Pennsylvania, and we also see it by the fact that if you talk to the business community around the state, they simply cannot find the people to do the work that they need them to do. So that, that tells me we have a lot of work to do in the policy field, and we know that. We've known that for years. Now we're forced to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's why I was optimistic about the, the court decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, well, I said we were, before we move on, but one more topic is education, Chairman. What, what else do you think uh, we need to be taking a look at this session? Well, I, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be a main thing, but I, I'm I'm a big f proponent on fixing higher education too. I mean, we we have way too many schools in Pennsylvania that are doing the same thing. Higher education is also not producing for the Commonwealth. So even though this court ruling has kind of put the focus on our traditional K through 12 basic education. We have to look at our state system, which I think is, has been doing some good things. You know, the PASHI system, the, the chancellor with the integration model uh, that we're working towards. But, but our R1 universities need to be held accountable in terms of the money they get versus what they're producing. Um, our community colleges need to, to have the resources uh, that they need to make sure that, that they're providing what we need. Because it's not just about these, I've said this before. You know, going to school, changing majors three times, coming out with $100,000 worth of debt after six years and having a degree in Roman philosophy, that doesn't cut it anymore. And it's not just about schools making money, and these colleges and these institutions are not jobs programs for the local areas. They're supposed to be educating students to specifically get into a career field. So we need to re-examine higher education as well, and, and I'm passionate about that. And uh, so in addition to dealing with what we have in, in traditional K through 12 education, it's time to start looking at whether uh, we need to be more involved in what we're getting out of our uh, system of higher education. Yeah, I don't know. My Roman philosophy degree has done me pretty well. So. I mean, look, I look at both you guys. You have degrees, right? Allegedly. That says a lot. I've, yeah. <laughs> I have two. Yeah. Well, three if you count high school. Listen, my degree, yeah. <laughs> well, I, and and there, there, there is so much, uh, there is so much that, that colleges and universities can still do it's just they've gotten away from their basic mission you know and 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 i think we can all speak from our perspective a lot of my constituents are concerned that they're sending kids to be indoctrinated not educated and that's a problem too and whether that's a perception problem or whether it's real or whether it's a little bit of both our schools have to be responsive to the fact that you know our we we are not going to just pay money to send our kids to institutions and have them come back with a, a new ideology but no skill mm -hmm. like it's it's exactly the opposite we want them to come back with skill yeah and we'll take care of the ideology at home uh all right real quick we can go as long as we want well, i'm back yeah. let's go let's uh, go it's our podcast it's fine um 
Well, you know, we're we're getting it's it's now 79 degrees in here. Uh, <laughs> although so that's just raised the temperature. Um, uh, but but look, you know, the house just actually started uh, the slow uh, business of churning itself forward for the session. Well, the special session yesterday, uh, as we're recording this. You know, the rules that were adopted were, I think, draconian is a compliment to them, uh, only because, look, I mean, I think there's, while some people feel as though there's a need to move forward, there's definitely, you know, like, you do th- you do one thing around here, and then everybody goes, oh, look, like, we can do that, right? The the rules that were adopted to, to deal with this, uh, the, these very important issues, which we've done now twice uh, in the, the statute of limitation stuff, so the constitutional amendment will be the third time, we passed statutory bill last session, it'll be the second time, you know, two-thirds to amend a bill, one committee with five people that essentially has a sole power to amend or change legislation. The committee meeting was called yesterday and was not sunshined, uh, was, it was sunshine on the floor, but it was not broadcast or live streamed, so nobody could watch it unless you were literally in the building. Um, you know, we talk about the thousands of people this legislation is meant to help, uh, yet they were literally barred from watching or even going back and watching anything that happened yesterday. You know, the Democrats have a one-seat majority, and uh, they're using it as though they have a 25-seat majority. And, um, you know, it's, it's where I think we're off to a really bad start when you have, uh, you know, at least three Democrats yesterday and 26 others whose first substantive votes were to end debate, uh, shut off amendments, and um, really shut down the process of the House. Look, I, can, I know this is a special session. I know the Speaker is... Um is trying to navigate this in his own way uh, and kind of solo. This is not how government's supposed to function. It's not how it's supposed to work. We understand that. My my hope is that next week, when we start to return to some normality, whatever that means, uh, that things will get better. But look, I, I we can we can whine about it. You know, we can say that this isn't fair. Whatever. Uh, at the at the end of the day, our responsibility needs to be to our constituents to say, "Look, this is what we will do." We have to be the party of ideas, and we have to be the party of of rule, and we have to be the party that says, "Look, this is why something like two thirds to it takes two thirds to pass an amendment instead of a simple majority is wrong." We need to articulate that better. We need to communicate that better. And when I say we, I don't mean that. I mean we as individual members, the people who are elected to be the voice of the people. We need to be that voice. We need to stay strong and we need to try and turn the ship around. That That's no excuses. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, to whine or cry about it. I'm here to get stuff done. Just a couple of their actions, though, this week that, that make you just scratch your head because nobody wants to talk about them. Nobody's willing to call, call them out for it. The super secret double swearing in. I mean, the members were sworn in in secret yesterday morning. Then they come to the floor and get sworn in again. It's the, it's the Super Bowl, Bowl coin toss of swearing in, right? right? Where, you, where you actually do the real one 20 minutes before yeah. and then you go out and you do well, the fake it, one for goes, the people. Somebody's right. going to point out and say, well, Brian Cutler was sworn in uh, out of session and so was Joanne McClinton. But the difference, of course, was Brian Cutler was sworn in in public, announced, live stream. People could watch it happen. Joanne McClinton's was sworn in in private, no announcement, completely hidden. And then they did it again yesterday and it's just like People accept this stuff as normal. So I completely agree. I hope that we can get to a point where we're debating on policy and facts and let them show exactly who they are. But as they continue to show, they want to turn the cameras off, do it in secret, and not let the the public really see what they're up to. So here's the thing. You have members over there on that side of the aisle who are uncomfortable with what's going on, right? And eventually, they they're trying to get their, their feet under them. It's a new thing, right? They haven't been in the majority for a while. They they have members who are going to start to say this is this is not how we're going to do business. I believe that. I truly do. I I'm, I don't believe I'm being naive or Pollyanna with that. I think I think they will. You know, right now everybody is look. 
this <laughs> everybody is kind of waiting to see how is this going to go and um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of apprehension among the other members of the other side of the aisle too so I think we're going to get it right uh, look we're, we're going to disagree vehemently on policy but this this stuff with the rules we need to get right and I, I believe that we will eventually um, right now you're just seeing a process that really isn't isn't worthy of the house and, and not the institution that and, we serve and you're absolutely right and I think one of the interesting things from yesterday that I, I didn't see anybody talking about, um, except for myself, because, you know, it's just what it you, is. But, you saw yourself talking about it. Uh, no, well, I did, because it was on Twitter, uh, <laughs> um, which is a great thing about Twitter. You get to say something, and you get to see yourself saying it, is that not a single Democrat actually stood up and substantively defended the rules yesterday. They didn't stand up and defend one actual part of anything that they were doing. Uh, all they did was basically said, victims have waited too long. You guys are just yeah. delaying this. They said, it's just a uh, special session. What are you, what are yeah. you complaining about? They, they didn't actually say, this is why this is good. And that's, that's true. And I expect to hold them to that next week. Yes. When it's not yeah. special mm-hmm. session. Right. But next week, they won't have the ability to, to, to not defend what they're doing. That's right. Um, and, and hide behind helping victims. This is a complex issue. I mean, yeah. I, I, we, we like to we like to make this very cookie cutter, but at the end of the day, this was a complex issue that had been worked out multiple times since I've, my goodness, probably since my second term in the legislature, we've been working on this, and it it, it takes it takes nuance, it takes debate, it takes thought, and yes, yesterday was just kind of like let's let's just get this done, let's get this done and and out of here, which tells me that that maybe they have members who are ready to move on in some ways as well. All right. Well, uh, I think this is a this is a pretty good one. It's uh, a great way to be back. I'm I'm excited. It's yeah, full sports next week then. Well, I mean, look, we get a few we we, we get a few minutes. Um, you know, I know uh, Representative Topper and I were talking offline, but uh, full swing on Netflix. Yeah, we'll talk about TV shows. Nothing good to watch, man. Full swing. Yeah. Right. So All my way. Netflix days, uh, you know, I I would need to re up my subscription for a month to just, watch. Just it. we'll share. Just just look. But no, I, listen. Any any of those behind the scenes, even like NFL mic'd up of the oh, Super yeah, yeah, Bowl, yeah. like those are for sports junkies. Behind the scenes stuff is great. And yeah, yes, yeah. we can. Any podcast we do can always involve sports, entertainment, food, which mm. we got to get. We got to figure out because Neil was a foodie. I need to understand. <laughs> yeah. I need to understand Mike's understanding. In, in terms of, food. of a foodie, yeah, I need to find foodie. I think much like <laughs> myself, he just he like he likes he eats it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, 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 not just he eats. But he had yeah. Look, he had a, he had he, yes, obviously a strong opinions. Yes. Yeah, but he also had good opinions. So we've got. I, I've always said one of the best things about this podcast, and my two buddies that listen at home say that you know they love the fact that we talk about more than just politics. So uh, yeah, we'll be we'll I'm, have some great ones here. Over I'm the next not short weeks. on takes, particularly food takes. So, okay, yeah. well then we're in a good spot. Yeah. I think that's generally assembled for this week, guys. You can listen to this podcast for all your favorite House Republican podcasts are found, www.pahousegop.com slash mypodcasts. Mm-hmm.